So we just recorded a video for our Patreons. And it's just like a little check-in. Maddie's been moving. We have a lot of stuff going on. And Madison decided to get on the conspiracy train. The one audio that the next time someone tells you the government wouldn't do that. Oh, yes, they would. Oh, yes, they would. Someone listening is going to understand what I'm talking about. I had no idea. But you can hear our full conversation on Patreon if you would like. So, yeah. Anyway, hi, guys. I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And today we are here recording Lost in the Woods. Welcome back. All right. Today we are going to be talking about some unsolved trail murders. And there are four of them that are unsolved and in close vicinity to each other. And we are going to be covering those four cases today. So we are covering Scott Lilly, Chad Austin, Heidi Childs, and David Metzler. Okay. Okay. And the real question that we'll have at the end is, are they connected? Okay. First, we're going to talk about the case of Scott Lilly or Stonewall, which was his trail name. We've talked about trail names before. Most long-distance hikers have some sort of trail name. Your trail name is usually given to you by other hikers, and usually when you sign logs or do anything, you're signing your trail name, not your actual name. When you hike long enough, you start to go into this weird psychosis of you're not yourself and you need a new name. (laughs) And I think that is where... Where it comes from? Like, I don't... Why is it a thing? Know. I don't know. What, I don't know. Are we on a pirate ship? I don't like, know. I, I don't know. I would be curious how it started. I would also I be curious. Know. Like, is it just literally them starting to slowly lose their minds while hiking? And they're like, oh, man, you're... I was going to say, you do kind of start to lose your mind after, like, a week or so. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. So, I mean, is that, like, is that where it started? Like, did someone just, like, were they just long-distance hiking, and they're like, man, you're, like, the pack mule. We should call you pack mule. 100%. Or, like, some shit like that, like, because they're just, like, you Mm -hmm. lose, you don't have enough stuff to talk about. Like, you start to lose it. Like, you're out there, Mm -hmm. like. No, I think you might be onto something. I'd be curious. Yeah. Also, trails, trail names just, I feel like, sound weird as fuck to anybody who's not a part of a hiking group. I know. You know like what? Like, it's funny because it's always, like, seemed normal to me. And then we did an episode one time where we were, like, using somebody's trail name. And somebody was like, what the hell is that? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's not normal, is it? Is this a trail name? <laughs> yeah. Okay. On Friday, August 12 of 2011, a group of hikers set off on a trail known as the Hotel Trail or Old Hotel Trail. And this is near Cow Camp Gap Shelter in George Washington Jefferson National Forest in Virginia. Along the trail, they would come across a horrifying sight. They would find a young man laying dead in a shallow grave. On the 19th, the body would be identified as Appalachian Trail hiker Scott A. Lilly, or Stonewall. His gear, including his shoes and backpack, were nowhere to be found. There were some fruit snacks, sleeping pills, and dried food nearby, but most of his gear was gone. So the autopsy concluded that he had most likely died 12 days before the discovery of his body. Due to the location of the crimes being on federal land, obviously the Federal Bureau of Investigation assumed control of this investigation. Despite the efforts of the federal agents, the Amherst County Sheriff's Office, Virginia State Police, and the U.S. Forest Service 
had turned up no evidence to who the killer was or who the killer even might be. And the murder still remains unsolved to this day. Right. The area in which he was found was part of the Mount Pleasant Special Management Area, located near Amherst County, Virginia, north of U.S. Route 60 and east of Blue Ridge Parkway. Haven't we done a case on Mount Pleasant? We have, yes. This is part of the Appalachian Trail. We've done like three oh, cases on the Appalachian Trail. Okay, got you. That's why Mount Pleasant sounds familiar. I'm like, I swear to fucking God. Yeah, it's because it's part of the Appalachian Trail. Okay. This trail intersects with the Appalachian Trail twice, about two miles apart in Amherst County, Central Virginia. The AT Hotel Trail Loop in the Mount Pleasant National Scenic Area is 7.5 miles long. This trail follows the AT through the bald on Cole Mountain before descending to Cal Camp Gap and the Cal Camp Gap Shelter. Here it continues along the mountain, making several small stream crossings before entering an old clearing where an old cabin stood known as the hotel. It was used by hunters and herders, and then the trail continues on to Hog Camp Gap. Now, not much is publicly known about who Scott Lilly was before his tragic death along the legendary trail. The only people to publicly speak out on behalf of him is his sister, Allison, Lily, and his childhood minister, Greg Clapper. According to Greg Clapper, Lily was passionate about the Civil War history, which is what brought him to Virginia to begin hiking the trail. Clapper said that he introduced Lily to the Appalachian Trail and was a hiker himself with 20-some years of experience on the trail. Scott Lilly had set off on the Appalachian Trail from Maryland to Georgia, to find himself and to visit iconic landmarks in the Civil War history. His sister would say to WSET-TV, he was a 30-year-old man who was living out a dream by traveling the Appalachian Trail and visiting Civil War battlefields. So Civil War was like, he loved the Civil War and the history and partially chose the Appalachian Trail so that he could visit these monuments along his way. She would say he was just really excited about it, and I just told him that I loved him and to be careful, and he was trying to make us proud. Scott was 6'8 and 170 pounds, so he would not have been easy to overpower if he was awake at the time of the attack. So police speculate that he may have known his attacker, been caught off guard, or maybe even killed in his sleep. So, during his expedition down the Appalachian Trail, Lily went by a trail named Stonewall, which is most likely a salute to Thomas Stonewall Jackson, a legendary commander in the Confederate Army in the Civil War. Yeah, so I'm guessing that he talked about the Civil War enough that he got this nickname. So, Stonewall Jackson died as the result of friendly fire in 1863 across the border of Clarksburg, West Virginia. So Lily began his journey in Maryland, where he set out on June 15 of 2011, heading southbound for Springer Mountain in Georgia. However, Lily never made it to his intended goal. His last contact with the world had been at the end of July 2011, 45 days into his expedition, when he was climbing the Priest, a landmark mountain in Nelson County, that is accessible via the Appalachian Trail. 
Records show on July 28, near the 4,000-foot peak of Priest Mountain, a family backpacking there told authorities that they saw him alone camping and struck up a conversation with him. They noticed that he was hauling a very heavy pack. And a couple of days later, on July 31, 2011, there was a heavy thunderstorm in the morning and rain until about noon. It is unknown if he set off in the rain or waited until it cleared. But after the rain ended, there was a week and a half of clear, warm weather up until the night before his body was found. So possibly around the time that he went missing, there was a rainstorm that came in as well. Now, his body was found near the priest shelter, which is located just over half a mile off of the Appalachian Trail via the old hotel trail. In order to gain perspective on distance, the shelter and the hotel trail are 16.8 miles, which are an average day's hiking distance for like somebody hiking the Appalachian Trail. Like 15 miles a day is pretty normal. Actually, a lot of them do more than that even. Now, it is speculated that Lily planned to travel toward the shelter in hopes of camping there to prepare for the following day's hike, which was a 3.8 mile to U.S. Highway 60 to find his way down the 9.3 mile drive towards Buena Vista, Virginia, which was a popular trail town. But the next reported sighting of Lily alive was on July 31 when someone came forward and reported seeing him at the shelter near Cow Camp Gap, which is less than a mile from where his body was discovered. So not likely that he went far past that. Mm -hmm. So we don't really have an exact plan of when and where Scott was traveling, but we did... Oh, but he did keep in contact with his mom and she would send him gift cards from time to time. And in late July was the last time that his family had talked to him on the phone. And he seemed to be having a great time. Yeah, there were no issues reported with him. It wasn't until a few months later that the office of the chief medical examiner, Virginia Department of Health, would release a cause of death. According to the report, the body of Lily was in advanced stages of decomposition, hinting that the man had been dead for days, if not weeks, Initially, the cause of death would be labeled suspicious. No kidding, because he didn't dig a grave and put himself in it. Um, yeah. In early February of 2012, so six months after the discovery of his body, the FBI released additional information regarding the autopsy and Lily's cause of death. The pathologist reports concluded that he had died as a result of asphyxiation by suffocation, ruling the death a homicide. Remember how we mentioned his hiking gear was noted to be missing? That did include his blue-purple backpack, trail shoes, handheld Nintendo. Yeah. So, like, a portable Nintendo of some kind. Like a DS or a Switch. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I actually followed these people on TikTok that were doing the Appalachian Trail, and one of them did carry a Nintendo Switch with them. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. 100%. They're like, it's worth it. It's worth the wait. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't even know how they're charging it, though. <laughs> what? I don't understand. Probably, like, a solar charger. I guess, but you have to... That, that. I mean, you'd have one for your phone anyway. You'd have to have a really good one to be able to charge your phone and that. But a lot of them do stop at hotels and stay. And, True. You know, they charge that stuff up, so... And an Appalachian Trail handbook. It was never stated within the investigation by authorities that they believed that robbery was a motive for the attack. So his shoes were a size 10 Ozark 
hiking trail shoe. hiking shoe. Yeah. Low tops that were orange and brown in color, which I feel like it literally just uh, they're describing a classic hiking shoe. Yeah, it's actually a very popular inexpensive Walmart brand hiking mm-hmm. shoe. Which based on his timeline would have been well worn by the time of his murder. Yeah. So the fact that somebody took his shoes is very strange. Maybe that he had their size. Maybe it was somebody trying to blend into the hiking community. Yep, which we've seen time and time again on the Appalachian Trail, we which is why sure I have. will never hike on the Appalachian Trail. I might hike it. No, there's way too many people who are literally there and are felons and are literally... We have done cases on the murdering people to blend in better. I know. Literally because he liked the guy's backpack. Like, Didn't even like it, just needed it. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, I need a backpack that looks like a backpack I'd want. Kills I'm going to kill two people. It was two people yeah. in that one. Yeah. I can't. No. There also is no information about the rest of his gear, but obviously he would have had a tent or some sort of shelter, sleeping bag, probably some other items as well, because he was reported to have a heavy backpack by witnesses. But they don't really make mention of the rest of his gear. And I mean, he had to be carrying a lot of shit for someone on the Appalachian Trail to be like, yeah, he had a heavy. And they might not have known what he had, so releasing a description might not have been a possibility. All I think about is that one lady that we saw when we were hiking in Europe who had the heavy pack on, who looked like she was about to collapse and we saw her two days in a row. Yeah, she was not doing well. FBI Special Agent Steve Dennis the lead investigator also disclosed at a news conference on April 23 that Lily was intentionally buried. His body had been partially buried, not by natural forces, he said, but that someone had tried to conceal it. Like they needed to explain why it was a homicide? I don't know. According to a statement released by the FBI, this hinted to those who knew the area well that this was not a local or a hiker that committed this crime. The reason being, if it had been someone who knew the trail well, he or she would have dragged the body off the actual trail, which is a well-known high-trafficked area. But it also took a long time for them to find the body, so were they just trying to conceal it long enough for them to get away? I mean, it doesn't mean they didn't know the area. They're just trying to say it's not a local it, it, it might can't not be, be someone who lives in the area. It has to be someone strange who came from out of town who murdered this man. It could never be someone from our town. I don't know. Bodies are heavy. Maybe they didn't want to drag it further He's off a big the man, too, wasn't he? I, yeah. Isn't he tall as fuck or something? He's tall. He's like 170 pounds. Yeah. All, I feel like all cases, like, majority of them are always like, it's a stranger. It can't be someone from our town. Like They all say that. It's such a cliche. Nope, it's probably someone you know, probably a family member, someone who you have interacted with who is going to kill you, which is why I trust no one, which is why you should trust no one. So this trail is considered amongst the hiking community as an easy day hike, and during the summer months, a highly trafficked area, which brings high speculation on the timeline in which the body was found and its condition. The Daily Times did a report on the case, including an interview with a trail club member volunteer by the name of Dick Frisbee. During the months of July and August, Frisbee claimed to be responsible for about 90 miles worth of vegetation in the Appalachian Trail, including the region in which Lily's body was found. And during 
the two days he spent in Mount Pleasant scenic area, he never saw Lily or any suspicious activity. What he did mention was that it was an unusually dry season the region was experiencing during this time and how hikers expressed their difficulties in finding water sources along the trail due to dried up streams in the area. And he speculated a theory that maybe there had been a desperate confrontation pertaining to water. Okay. But I don't know. I think it's more likely that he was killed for his gear. Yeah. For someone blending in, yeah. Mm -hmm. Hikers would be on edge, and that would be magnified when a couple of weeks after Scott was found, another hiker would be found dead. But this one would end up being determined as natural causes. But still, you have, like, a recent murder. It's unsolved. You're wondering if the murderer is still out there. And then there's another dead body. I mean, it's it's got yeah. to get everybody really riled up, I'm sure. The joint investigation that enveloped four different investigative bureaus released a statement in September of 2011 asking to speak to the five hikers who may have had contact with Scott Lilly in the days surrounding his death. And this is based on logbooks at the shelters. They released the trail names of these five hikers. Mr. Coffee, White Wolf, Papa Smurf, Combat Gizmo, and Space Cadet in hopes of filling in the gaps in Scott's timeline. After this release, the hiking community lit up with questions and rumors, mainly about one hiker in particular using the trail name Papa Smurf. This particular hiker was a Vietnam vet with a teardrop tattoo by his eye. That sounds like a prison tattoo. And hikers said that he scared them and how he was behaving oddly. Some even reported that he stalked them on the trails. And this was around the time that Lily was killed. Now, Papa Smurf did have a record and had been removed from trails for things like disturbing the peace and causing fights in trail towns. Investigators found each of these five hikers and interviewed them. None of them, though, including Papa Smurf, were ever named as persons of interest or suspects. That didn't really matter. The What's that shoot as Papa Smurf for? I don't know. But the internet world basically like convicted him at the time. But it was later determined that he was actually in a totally different state by the time Scott Lilly was murdered. Okay. So he was definitely cleared. So in 2012, the FBI offered $10,000 for any information that led to an arrest and conviction of Lilly's killer. The combined investigative teams involved in this case accumulated 83 interviews, more than 100 pieces of evidence, and searched 270 miles worth of trails. Their initial response to the homicide did not include the specifics about the coroner's report or multiple leads or possibilities that they may have been following. Yeah, they use this as a strategy in their words in order to generate more leads from the public. I think the thought was if they provided less information, more people might come forward to give information mm -hmm. rather than if they just said, Here's he was, yeah, he was here, here, and here. This is our theory. You know, yeah. I don't know. The first year of the investigation was quiet. 
In April of 2012, two months after the cause of death was released to the public, the U.S. attorney for Virginia's West District announced that resolving Lily's case and making an arrest was their highest priority. His family came out with interviews and promises of an award summed up to $10,000 if anyone came forward. An interesting fact is the U.S. attorney for the West District of Virginia, Tim J. Hemphy, Humphy? Hemphy? Sure. Said that it was unlikely that the death was connected to several unsolved deaths in George Washington National Forest. He said the level of cooperation on this case is remarkable and stressed that his office is placing high priority on this open case as well as the unsolved murders. Along the Blue Ridge Parkway and a 1996 killing of two women. Which we covered that one. So that's Williams and Winnis in Shadona National Park. So that's the couple that was murdered. That was stabbed? Yeah, the older one. like strangled? Mm -hmm. So that was the case of Julian Williams and Laura Winnis in our double murder in Shadona National Forest. And when looking back at my notes on this case, there didn't seem to be anything indicating that they could have been connected. So I kind of agree with them there. They're kind of in close proximity to each other near the Appalachian Trail, but we have throats being slit versus suffocated. Mm -hmm. We have buried or partially buried versus not. We have gear missing versus not. So... I didn't see anything that made me think that they could be connected. So I would have to agree with that. And the case of Scott Lilly still remains unsolved and no arrests or convictions have ever been made, which not only has that not happened, but it doesn't sound like they know shit on this case. Mm -mm. Like really nothing. It sounds like they have no clue. No, they're just like, it's someone from far away. Don't worry. It's not going to happen again. Yeah, and I didn't see anything about there being DNA. There's really not a lot of information about this case. They're probably keeping all that under wraps and hope that someone will come out with something someday. Maybe. I don't know. It's just so weird to me that there's so little information. Next, we're going to talk about the case of Chad Austin. Now, on May 29 of 2019, a Virginia local news station released a news report pertaining to a missing Buena Vista man, 30-year-old Chad Hunter Austin was missing and was last seen on May 27, which fell on a Monday around 4.30 in the afternoon. A specific description on Buena Vista Police Department's Facebook post had a detailed description of Austin, including his height, weight, eye color, and what he had on the evening that he was last seen. So he was seen by two hikers in the Panther Falls area on May 27th, 2019. This is Memorial Day. Yep. In case you don't remember what day of the week, what day Memorial Day was on in 2019. Is it on the same day every year? Monday. It's always on a Monday. It's always on a Monday. That's what it is. Yeah. I thought that's what Memorial Day was. (laughs) Something like that. But it also tends to be a busier hiking day than Mm -hmm. average, too. So reports describe that the couple who reported seeing him last saw him sitting at a popular watering hole, and it seemed like he had been drinking. They reported that they conversed with him briefly, learning that he was from Buena Vista area. They didn't think too much of his state of mind due to it being Memorial Day weekend, and uh, they were in a place where people came to socialize and have a good time. So. Right, 
So he wasn't the only intoxicated intoxicated person around, right? So when the couple packed up the following day and hiked out, they would come across a car parked on the side of the road just two miles from the turnoff toward the falls. And the car was locked, and it seemed off to them, so they called the police. And on May 28th, around 12.30 p.m., Virginia State Police responded to the call, finding a silver 2006 Hyundai Turbon? Turbon? Tiburon? I don't know. The car was indeed locked, and inside was a dog who seemed to be okay. <laughs> Madison thought there was going to be a dead dog in the car for sure. Yeah, I did think there was going to be a dead dog in the car. Okay, so police ran the license plate to the vehicle, and they find out that the car was registered to a woman by the name of Ellen Austin. When making the call to the registered owner, the pieces were put together that her son, Chad, had been driving the car with his dog, Gunner, accompanying him. The information was that the dog had been found alone, locked inside the car, struck his mother odd because Chad never went anywhere without his dog by his side. Well, he obviously went to that watering hole without his dog. Yeah, so based on information gathered from the phone call and the scene, investigators believe that the reason the dog was found locked in the vehicle was that Austin intended to return from wherever he had gone. In, like, a relatively short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Also important to note is that the vehicle was out of gas, which this I find very strange, only because he did interact with people and didn't mention that he had run out of gas or that he was stranded or anything like that. So I'm wondering if he even knew that he was out of gas. Just a thought. Hmm. There were no other useful clues at the scene. The official report of a missing person was not filed until the following day. That's not too crazy. On May 29. Although the authorities reported the abandoned vehicle way before nightfall on the day it was reported, Austin's family did not file the missing persons report until the following morning. Speculation mentions how they could have possibly figured He was a grown man and decided to go hike alone or whatever. It was a busy weekend in the area. He wanted to keep the dog away from other dogs, maybe. But I would guess it was more his family didn't really know what to do. Like, they're told his car's found abandoned. They're like, that's really strange. Something's obviously wrong. Maybe they spend the evening trying to get in touch with him somehow. And then when nobody can find him, they report him missing the next day. That would be my guess. On Thursday, May 30th, troopers with Virginia State Police and Amherst County Sheriff's Office joined Buena Vista officers to search the woods and roadway around Chad's car. About a half a mile down the road from where the abandoned car was parked, they found Chad's set of keys, with a few keys missing from the ring, including the key to his vehicle. Now, to me... This makes me think somebody might have tried to take his vehicle, and maybe they're the ones that ran it out of gas. It was two miles from the entrance to the falls, so maybe he had parked closer to the falls, and then whoever had taken his key took the car and ran it out of gas on the side of the road. They might have even taken his dog. Who knows? Maybe his dog was with him. Yeah. I don't know. During the same search, police found some of Chad's other belongings, including two knives that were laying on the ground with the blades in the open position. 
After that, no other evidence was located that gave investigators any clue as to where Chad was or what might have happened to him. But I'm going to say struggle if there's keys on the ground and knives open on the ground. There had to be some sort of struggle. Something. Something. They also took Chad's dog back to the area in order to see if the dog could find him and nothing. Oh, poor dog. I've been seeing a lot of TikToks lately that it's like, if I die, let my let my let my animals see my dead body. Like if I die before my dog, let my dog see my body. I've I've seen a lot of that too, where people are like sick in hospitals and they're like, pets need to say goodbye too. Yeah, like they need to know that I'm not to... coming back, that I didn't abandon them. Yeah, yeah. Nothing came from the search and rescue efforts throughout the next months that followed. Friends, family, and community volunteers continued their own search efforts once authorities called off theirs. Local authorities renewed search and rescue efforts in June of 2019, probably due to the overwhelming, like, locals and family that were still searching. Maybe they felt pressured because people were still out there yeah, looking for looking him. Yeah, looking there, and they, they were like, no, we're done. In addition to the Virginia State Police, the Virginia Department of Emergency Management, various search and rescue canine teams, and the Amherst County Sheriff's Office, and the Buena Vista Police Department, participated in what was unfortunately turning into a search and recovery operation at this point. Months passed with false leads or little information regarding the case at all coming up. And his family members would continue to appear in news reports or sit down for interviews because they were desperate for answers and they wanted to keep his case in the news. But on May 31, the search was officially called off. Chad's friends and family continued to search for Chad on their own and covered as much ground as they could on foot as drones were unable to see much through the thick vegetation. So it's a pretty thickly wooded area. But on June 15, police launched another official search for Chad where more than 80 officers would search. Again, we're not really sure what prompted this search either, but police do say at this point that they believe there was foul play. So I think this is the first time that they've said there's foul play, and maybe that's why they launch another search for him, because they're like, okay, he hasn't used his phone. He hasn't used his credit cards. He hasn't reappeared. He's not just out running around or doing something. Like He's probably dead at this point. That winter, hikers would stumble across Chad's wallet, and it was intact. And it was a duct tape wallet, by the way. It was a duct tape wallet, yeah. We're in 2012, so Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. And this would be on a trail that was thoroughly searched during the search and recovery efforts by law enforcement. And they would say, we do believe that the wallet was placed there by someone or some other individuals. It was sitting underneath a missing person's flyer for Chad. Yep. So not only is it in pristine condition, it is not damaged. Everything in it is in good condition. It's literally in the middle of a trail, and it's literally right where one of his missing person posters are. So this wallet was placed there. And this is months after he goes missing. Six months after he goes missing. Somebody knows something, right? The family did increase the reward in hopes of drawing out the person who left the wallet, but no one ever came forward. So as the investigation developed, state police revealed new details in the case. Among them were the two knives belonging to Chad that were found in the area, 
in the open position. Right. Which we so, already talked about, but this is all coming out at this point in time. They're just releasing yeah. that now. Yeah. We already know this, but so there was a sign of a struggle at the scene. Where they found the keys and the, the knives. Right. Um, which they hadn't previously stated. They also are releasing now that they did find text on his phone anticipating a confrontation. Um, and it was assumed, based on these messages, that in the days leading up to his disappearance and death, he was anticipating being confronted by a group of individuals who were determined to settle a disagreement with him. Right, and there's no information about what this disagreement was or what the tone of any sort of Anything? argument might have been, but he does tell somebody through text messages that he's anticipating this confrontation. Police also say that one person committed the murders, but others may have witnessed it. How can you even say that one person I don't person know. Committed it? I don't you know. You don't have a body. You have nothing. I think they're going by the, he was ex- expecting a confrontation by a group of people. And the fact that somebody left his wallet, maybe that that was somebody who was there, not somebody who actually killed him though. So it's okay. just a theory that they're working off of, I think. According to a press conference, They said, we especially want to hear from the individual or individuals who returned Chad's wallet to the scene more than six months after his disappearance. It was not overlooked in previous searches of that area. We know it was intentionally placed there, and perhaps there is a very reasonable explanation. We have been trying to figure out why that person, though, has not contacted us yet. So they're saying if that person wasn't involved in the murder, why haven't they contacted us yet? Yeah. In March of 2020, investigators returned to the Panther Falls area on a tip where they soon recovered skeletal remains, about a mile and a half from where Chad's car had been found. And the office of the chief medical examiner would confirm that the remains belonged to Chad Austin. According to the official press release from WLNI, local radio station, in addition to the skeletal remains, forensic investigators collected property and evidence that is currently undergoing testing at the Virginia Department of Forensic Science. The press release would say, from the onset, the investigation assigned to the case recognized the distinct possibility that Chad would not be found alive, said Virginia State Police Special Agent K.A. Zirkel. Because of that, this case has been handled as a homicide investigation from the very beginning. That means that while we have been diligently searching for Chad with the hopes of finding him safe and well, investigators with the Buena Vista Police Department and State Police have been collecting and documenting evidence and information that would explain how he died and who could be responsible for Chad's death. Make no mistake, Much headway has been made in the last year. As unfortunate as this development is, finding Chad's remains allows us to now focus exclusively on the circumstances leading to his death. To me, this kind of sounds like they are bluffing. Yeah. They don't know what's going on. Yeah. They would say we are confident that there are persons in the community with relevant information that could help bring this case to a logical conclusion. We want to assure local residents that the multi-agency investigative team actively pursuing this case will continue to conduct additional interviews and follow forensic examinations. 
a number of people have already come forward and we are grateful for their trust. But those who have been reluctant are still encouraged to call the Virginia State Police. Again, it makes it sound like, well, we know you're out there because some people have already come forward. Like, you just need to come forward. It sounds like they're, like, trying to bluff people into coming forward that might have been involved. Yeah. This is still an active, unsolved case. According to Chad's missing person flyer, he was six feet tall and weighed between 150 and 175 pounds. He had brown hair and brown eyes, and according to witnesses, he was wearing a gray tank top and khaki cargo shorts the last time he was seen, which was at Panther Falls, and he had long hair that he often pulled into a bun. So when we look at Chad and Scott, the two cases, right? Chad and Scott were both 30 years old and hiking on popular trails when they were murdered. The murders did occur about eight years apart and about 40 miles in distance from each other. But still, could they be connected? I don't know. The thing that gives me pause about the two cases is the fact that Chad was anticipating a confrontation which to me implies that it wasn't a random killing. I mean, it still could have been. The confrontation could have been completely unrelated. But the fact that he was anticipating that somebody was going to confront him makes me think that his wasn't random, where I feel like Scott Lilly's might have been more random. I really don't know. Those with information are encouraged to contact the Virginia State Police Bureau of Criminal Investigations And information can also be sent online. So you don't even have to call if you don't want to call. Okay. Hell yeah. And you would send it to questions at vsp.virginia.gov. So next, we're going to talk about Heidi Childs and David Metzler. So on August 27 of 2009, in the early hours of the morning, a local man on a walk with his dogs stumbled across a grim scene. Off a dirt road in the Jefferson National Forest, a lone car was noticed in the parking lot. And I think maybe because it was early in the morning, it seemed strange to him. But when walking over to the dark navy blue 92 Toyota Corolla, he would find inside the car a slumped over body of a young man. And just a couple feet away from the vehicle lay the lifeless body of a young woman. Immediately, authorities were called, and so began another homicide that has been left unsolved, leaving families devastated, communities dumbfounded, and authorities shocked by the lack of evidence that points to an explanation for what happened and who did this. I feel like couples being murdered in their cars seems to be a theme. Like, why does that happen so often? Remember there was like a famous serial killer that went around killing couples in their cars? Do you know who I'm talking about? Is that not the Zodiac Killer? Yes. Yep, so Lover's Lane killed a couple. Killed another couple at Blue Rock Springs Park. Uh, Killed another couple at a small island at Lake something. So that was the two at the lake. Yeah, so like I wonder... When I when I hear so many cases like this, I wonder, is it people that are still not copycatting him exactly, but like still, I, I don't know. It just seems like a very strange reason or way to kill people. 
Yeah. Like couples sitting in cars or like having picnics or like whatever. Like why, why would that be your target audience? I don't know. Unless you're copying what somebody else did. Unless you hate couples. Yeah, maybe. David was studying engineering and was a competitive athlete who enjoyed hunting and woodworking and was kind of thought of as a quiet kid. Heidi was also an excellent athlete and had the nickname Smiley growing up as she was always smiling. The couple also worked at an ice cream shop together. That's cute. Adorable. So they were just weeks into their sophomore year at Virginia Tech, a college about 20 minutes away from Blacksburg, Virginia. David had told his roommates about his plan to take his girlfriend Heidi up to Codwell Fields in Jefferson National Forest to enjoy the outdoors and good weather. And according to interviews, David had been there before on a retreat and was familiar with the area. And his roommates confirmed the last time they saw David was that evening as he lay his guitar on the backseat of his Toyota Camry before driving off towards Heidi's apartment to pick her up. Heidi's roommates confirmed that Heidi was planning on discussing future degree plans in college with David. She had decided to go pre-med and was eager to talk to David about this. Now, Caldwell Fields is located about 20 minutes from the Blacksburg area and just 15 miles away from the Virginia Tech campus. So they haven't gone on some long drive or far away from home. Now, although although the area attracted a large number of tourists, especially in the summer, it was quite isolated with few amenities. There were no paved roads running through the forest, cell phone service was spotty and unreliable, and there was an unpaved parking lot off Craig Creek Road at Caldwell Field. And this is where David had parked his Camry. When Heidi's roommates noticed how late it was that night and Heidi hadn't returned home yet, they didn't want to immediately overreact and thought that maybe she had just stayed over at David's apartment. When there was still no sign of her the following morning, with calls continuing to go to voicemail, the roommates did start to panic. At that time, in David's shared apartment, his roommates were also beginning to panic. And when they called Heidi's apartment that morning, it set the entire group into a full-blown panic. Because now Heidi's roommates knew that she wasn't at David's, and David's roommates knew that she wasn't at Heidi's. And this was very uncharacteristic of the group. They tried to reassure themselves that maybe there was a legitimate reason why neither of them had come home. So... Their plan was to go to the location where they thought David had gone the night before and see if they could find his car in the parking lot or maybe they had crashed or were stranded or something like that. So they never got a chance to actually go to the location because they would hear about the discovery of the couple from authorities. David and Heidi, who were kids basically, were church-going high school sweethearts, and they were known around campus as extremely active students involved in their church and serious about their studies. No one would understand how they ended up murdered in such a brutal manner. With the fall semester just having started, it brought back an ominous setting on the campus due to the recent tragedy in 2007 when 32 people were gunned down on the same campus in a 10-minute shooting spree. So this school has already had crazy tragedy, and now they're hearing that two of their students have been murdered as well. Yeah. I might change schools. I don't know. 
I might just not go to school. <laughs> I just don't. Well, you might just not go to school for no reason, though. <laughs> Authorities were confident that the couple being murdered was an act of random violence. It always is. Uh, to them, like it always is. Like oh, they yeah, always yeah. say like that when it, they can't find something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say usually it's not a random act of violence. I get it. It's always a ra- random act of violence. It's never from someone from the town. It's always someone who was passing through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A random act of violence from a random stranger passing through our town, and they're gone now, so everybody's safe again. Yeah, yeah. Um, no. Nothing in the victims background or family background could lead investigators to think that they had been targeted for some reason. Well, I mean, I I guess I can kind of agree with that. However, I feel like the chance of somebody having some sort of obsession with one of the two is just as likely as a random act of violence. A stalker that they didn't know about that became enraged when seeing them together. I mean, who knows? I do think this is probably not somebody that they necessarily know. But I feel like that has to be considered as well, a possibility. who knows? And also to say that they, like, because their family and their family background, like, they couldn't... Um, have come across somebody that would be capable of That would of be targeting yeah, them yeah. just for them being who they are. Like, you know what I mean? Well, especially, right, like, they're not living in a bubble. Like, they're oh, at a school. They're at yeah. college. They have jobs. They're working places. I mean, yeah, yeah. like, oh, you're a good Christian. Come from a good Christian family. No, you can't be targeted by a serial killer. Well, it's almost Obviously. like... It's almost like they wanted to say immediately that it wasn't their fault. Like, it would be anyway. But, like, this had nothing to do with them. They were just randomly targeted. Like, it... It, it's like they're trying to disconnect this tragedy from having anything to do with the couple. Yeah, I don't really know. So the position of the bodies gave hints to the situation that had unfolded. And David was still in the driver's seat while Heidi was outside of the car already, hinting to investigators that David had been caught off guard and shot first. You're probably right. I agree. Yeah. Um, or he was forced to watch and had to stay in the car or whatever. There, I, I would think there'd have to be two people if that were the case, but... Maybe there are two people. No, I'm, there could be. So Heidi, reacting to the sudden shots, had tried to flee by opening the car door and running out, but not getting very far before the killer shot her as well. David's guitar was still in the backseat, and the working theory is that the couple had not left the car and may have been approached shortly after arriving at the park. Right, so because his guitar is still there, because he's still in the car, because Heidi's not far from the car. Mm-hmm. It doesn't appear that they were returning to the car. It appears that they had just gotten there. And I agree with that. That's how I would interpret the situation. Or they were coming back and he had gotten in the car and the killer was already waiting in the car. I'd be curious to know Maybe. where the shots came from. I actually couldn't find, like, the... Did the shots come from inside the car? Are the shots right. coming from outside the car? That we Did don't Did he lower the gun know. to David's level? Did he shoot through the window or was the window down? Right. David's still the bigger threat. Yeah. No matter where the killer is, like, David's the one that he needs to get rid of. Yeah. I mean, it could have ha- it could have unfolded in a number of different ways, but I would like to know... I'm assuming that they were shot from outside the car, but... I didn't, like I said, I didn't see any information on that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. The investigation was difficult from the beginning as they could not find anybody who had been in the area or driving around that area during the time that the couple would have arrived at the park or been at the park. 
No one reported unusual gunshot noises or anything out of the norm. It was difficult to differentiate as nearby was a known shooting range. So gunfire shooting in this area was something that was normal. So a couple of shots. Right. Might not have registered to anybody as important. Another challenge was the lack of evidence that anyone had been camping along that region during that time. So there were no camping permits active or issued for Caldwell Fields Campground, which doesn't mean that nobody was camping there. Because I can tell you right now, like I've been camping many places where I have a permit and I go to my campsite and somebody's already there. And I'm like, hey, you're in my campsite. And they're like, oh, sorry, I don't have a permit. I was just hoping to get a campsite. Yeah. So this does happen. People camp without permits all the time, but there are none registered. So if somebody was camping there, it was illegally. Assuming that there may have been anybody that was camping there illegally, they might be reluctant to come forward. Yeah. But nobody does come forward with any information. And nobody comes forward saying that they had been in the area or anything. So apparently it was just deserted for this time frame. Weird. Now, throughout the investigation, money was raised for rewards that reached as high as $100,000 for any information. The student body of Virginia Tech and family and friends of the victims set up vigils and memorials of the two sweethearts, hoping for justice one day. In February of 2010, another press conference was released begging for more tips from the public. They still had no information on who could have done this. They had no suspect. They had no description. They had nothing. And this is months later. A couple of months later, the community would be rocked again by a similar story, causing a ramp up in the investigation. So on April 5th, 2010, not far from Augustus County, 27-year-old Timothy Davis and 18-year-old Christina Floyd decided that they were going to drive towards Blue Ridge Mountains for some quiet time. They parked their car on Rock Point Overlook, where some pull over to just view the scenic view of the Blue Ridge Mountains. And they'd been friends for a long time, and they liked to get together and sit outside and talk about music. And they sat on the railing overlooking the viewpoint when a small car drove up and parked next to theirs. They had been at this spot for about 45 minutes. And initially, Timothy thought that the driver was an elderly woman. How do they know he thought the driver was an elderly woman? Because he had told her that. That's what he had said. Gotcha. Okay, Mm -hmm. I see. Who didn't get out of the vehicle at first, and minutes later, that would all Change. change. Yeah. So this next information that you're going to get is from an interview that Daily Press released with Christina Floyd, who had survived this attack. Right. So after the car pulls into the parking lot, about 15 minutes passed. Then Christina recalled that her ears were suddenly ringing and that she heard a loud pop. Timothy had blood on his face and his arms were moving and he started groaning. Still confused, Christina turned around and behind her she saw the barrel of a shotgun pointing at her. A man stepped out of the car and began to run at her. Christina said that just as Timothy collapsed beside her, the stranger raised the gun and fired directly at her. She turned away and the blast struck her in the back. 
after this, he grabbed her and flung her over the edge of the cliff. She landed on a ledge no more than six feet down and scrambled up the side toward the parking lot. But the stranger grabbed her again, and again the two struggled. He knocked her down and then began to pick up rocks the size of cucumbers, which is an interesting comparison, and hurled about half a dozen of them at her. She was leaning on her left arm, dazed, and clutching her dress to her body, she began to run from the overlook and north onto the parkway, where a black pickup truck that was heading south immediately came into view, and the passenger, a woman, had a look of shock on her face as Christina rushed up. Then the woman apparently saw the stranger behind her with the gun in his hand. She threw open the door and jumped into the back so that Christina could jump into the passenger seat. The driver then put the car in reverse and backed up the parkway a good distance before turning the car around. Christina would be taken to the University of Virginia Medical Center and Timothy would later be found at the bottom of the cliff and died four days later from his injuries. And he would die the same day that Christina was released from the hospital. I cannot fucking imagine this. The only, the only story that's given me like more, like made me more like stressed out is the one where her arms got cut off. Or the one And she had the, to like yeah, put no, dirt stop. in them. I actually want to talk to about that. Remember? That one really fucks. Oh my god! I really don't. I still I'm feel really f- not okay. Like every now and then, the image of her like I'm literally not okay. trying to climb up the, the hundred cliff. foot <laughs> fucking cliff. It like just no like, arms, dirt shoved in. Sh- Are you kidding me? It like just pops into my head sometimes and like stresses me the fuck out. And that the first car kept driving when they saw her. They probably thought they were imagining. And she was naked, too, I think. She was naked. Dude, I would think I was in a horror movie. She was butt ass naked. She was completely covered in blood. She did not have arms. She, her arms were cut off above her elbows. Dude, like, what in the actual Like, fuck? No. No. Anyway. Or the one where the girls are being chased by the guy, and the guy's trying to run them over with their car in Australia. Oh, yeah. I don't... Oh, man. That one stresses me out, too. Where she's clinging to the can top you, of Can you imagine car. being, like... Can you imagine being, like, pushed off of a cliff? Like, you're just sitting there, chilling with your friend, and all of a sudden, you turn, and he's covered in blood, and then somebody's pushing you off a cliff. He shot her first. So he shoots her and then throws her off the cliff. No. No, no, no. How do you ever sleep again? You don't. Documents released by the U.S. Attorney's Office from the Western District of Virginia on June 9th, 2011, Ralph Leon Jackson, age 57, pled guilty to one count of assaulting Christina Floyd with the intent to commit murder, one count of using and discharging a firearm, which was a Harrington and Richardson 20-gauge shotgun. And this charge is also attached to during, like, being used during and in relation to a violent crime. Which is a higher degree than just illegally using your firearm. If you're using it in a in the course of a violent crime, it's a higher it's charge. Higher. Yeah. Gotcha. Like rather than you're just like shooting your gun outside. One count of premeditated murder of Timothy Philip Davis by shooting him with a firearm. As part of his plea agreement, Jackson agreed to a lifetime of federal incarceration for the murder count, 
He was sentenced to serve an additional 35 years total for the two gun charges. That sentence must be served consecutively to the life sentence that was previously ordered to serve. In addition, Jackson was sentenced 240 months of incarceration to be served concurrent with his life sentence for assaulting Christina Floyd. Yep. Jackson had admitted that on the evening of April 5, 2010, he drove his car to the Rock Point Overlook where he encountered the two strangers, Christina and Timothy. While he was sitting inside his car, Jackson fired a shotgun at the two friends, striking Timothy, which caused him to fall to the ground. He then exited his vehicle and continued to fire his weapon, hitting Christina, who then fell on the ground as well. After placing his gun down, Jackson admitted that he began throwing rocks at Christina, causing two skull fractures and a broken finger. Ultimately, Christina was able to flee the scene and was picked up by a passing motorist and taken to safety. In addition to the head injuries, Christina also had a collapsed lung from being shot. The similarity between this case, because this is not an unsolved case. The rest of our cases are unsolved, right? But the similarity between this case and the time frame when they occurred was just too much of a coincidence. But Jackson has not been named a suspect in the Metzler and Childs case. In March 2012, nearly three years after Heidi and David were killed, the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office had yet another press conference to update the public on the case. They shared that investigators had DNA they believed belonged to the killer. They emphasized how they would be pursuing this information to the fullest extent and would send it to multiple databases in hopes of finding a match. Sheriffs also confirmed other important details, like the weapon used in the killing, which was a 30 caliber rifle. The biggest update was how investigators believed the killer had stolen Heidi's purse, which we previously didn't know, along with her camera, credit cards, and her cell phone. Her student ID card and lanyard were also missing, and those items were never found at the scene and could not be accounted for. Now, with the DNA on the Heidi Child and David Metzler case, they were unable to connect the two cases and don't believe that they are committed by the same person. Could be, could not be. So my guess is the DNA just doesn't match the suspect that they have in that case, obviously. But could either case be connected to the murders of Scott Lilly or Chad Austin? The scene where Heidi and David were murdered is about two hours from where Scott was found and about an hour and 40 minutes from where Chad was murdered. So they're not that far from each other. And all three of those cases, so Chad and Scott and then Mm -hmm. the Heidi and David, remain ongoing and open. But without new information coming forth in these cases, the chance of them being solved is probably pretty unlikely. There's probably more of a chance with Heidi and David since they do have DNA, and it's just a matter of being able to track that person down. If you have any information about this case, you are strongly encouraged to contact the Virginia State Police tip line at 540-375-9589. So yeah, let us know if you guys think they might be connected. If you think maybe just Scott and Chad might be connected or... 
I just um, want to stay away from the Appalachian Mountains. <laughs> I'm going to stay away from the Appalachian Trail. I don't think there's Appalachian Mountains. Are there? Yeah, there is. Yes, there is. Never mind. Don't answer that question. The thing that makes me think that these cases might be connected is the fact that they have no freaking evidence or witnesses in any of them. I just think there are too many serial killers walking up and down that trail. Mm. Like, did, did like a newsletter go out? Like serial killer newsletter saying the Appalachian Trail is a great place to go hang out and kill people? Maybe it was in their newsletter and that's why they all went there. I'm sure they have a newsletter, serial killers of the United States. Oh, no. I thought you were talking it's about like a, a club. serious one. I was like, wait. You're like, wait, is that real? Uh, but yeah, let us know what you guys think. We're going to give our opinions on Bunker Talk. But yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate you guys. You're amazing. Um, we also want to thank our new Patreons. We have three new ones. We have Sarah Shewakis. Cool. I like it. Natalie. Hi, Natalie. Welcome to Patreon. And Deborah Finney. Hi, Deborah. Welcome. And thank you guys so much for supporting us. We really appreciate you. If you want bonus material and bonus episodes and things like that, early access to episodes, go and check us out on Patreon. We would love your support. Yeah. All right. Thanks, you guys. And we will talk to you soon. Bye. this is in our area i think this is somewhere else in the u.s but it says hey teens especially girls or people around lexington yesterday my mom's car was flagged with a small white s on her driver's side window and this either happened at some store or walmart and then it said when my dad unknowingly wiped it off with his fingers he started going numb so just everyone be super careful what was it I don't know if they know. I, it just looks like it's like a something screen that I'm sure the girl posted again, but it's something that's screenshotted from other people's stories that people are posting. That's what I see it from. Um, that's terrifying. Yeah. There's also this, I saw this one YouTuber doing a prank where he put a remote control inside of a cone and was moving the cone behind these people's cars. Mm-hmm. And this girl, like, I was like, I would not get out of the car. Mm-mm. If I moved a cone, got back into my car, and then the cone was behind my car again, someone's kidnapping me. I am sure as fuck running that cone over. I'm sorry that you feel that way, because that paranoia definitely comes from me. I am running that cone over. Uh-huh. I would not get out of my car either. No, if I ever get, like, a ticket in my windshield thing, they better mail it to me, because <laughs> I'm not getting that thing off. Uh Especially if I notice it when I'm already driving. Nope. That's staying on my car until I get to my location. I support that. Mm-hmm. You probably have unpaid tickets somewhere. <laughs> I haven't ever seen a ticket on my windshield like that. And honestly, a, ooh, a big fear that I have been noticing on TikTok that people my age have is the fear... And, like, I, people, like, a little bit older than me, too, like, people fear that they are actually, like, wanted and have a warrant out for their arrest because and they And they lost, don't know it? Yeah, because they <laughs> lost their jury duty paperwork because people are like, I'm, like, 26 years old. I feel like I should have been called for jury duty at this point. Like, what if it went to an old address and I didn't know and I didn't show up to jury duty and now I'm a wanted criminal and I don't <sighs> fucking know? I've been summoned... At least six times for jury duty. I've only been summoned once, and I didn't even make it 
into going into the courthouse. Mm. Apparently, taking Highway 9 is considered more fuel efficient than taking I-5 to 405. Yeah, because 405 is fucking awful. 405 is horrible. I hate 405. I would avoid stupid. I would avoid 405 with everything that I had in my life. I only have to drive on it for a little bit of time, though. Still, I hate 405. I hate transferring freeways. That makes everything seem so much longer. Yeah, but then if I get stuck behind a slow car on Highway 9, I want to stab myself. Yeah, true. You're less likely to get stuck in, like, bad traffic, though, on Highway 9 than you are on I-5. Debatable. Uh, I guess it just depends on the time, yeah. Um, either way, though, I hate anyone who drives on 405. I hate you if you only go 60. There's still a fast lane. The express lane is not the fast lane. It's like a <laughs> carpool lane. You don't count it. It's not the fast lane. Yeah, the far left lane that's not a carpool lane is the fast lane, people. Stay the fuck out of it unless you are passing people. You just need to... When a car, like, moves up fast and you can get over and you have the ability to get just over get just over. for a second. Yeah. Just to let... Why do people park in that lane? I do not understand I don't it. know either. I, I don't I know. I get anxious if somebody's, like, riding my ass because I'm going yeah. too slow. I want to get out of their way. It's an ego issue. Also, with all the road rage issues, I don't, I don't want to piss people off on the road. Like, I would rather just stay out of their way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you don't know who I am. I'm driving 75 on the freeway. I could be a fucking psychopath for all you know. Get the fuck out of my way. I know, right? <laughs> I just watched Hereditary last night, so I'm a little... <laughs> Traumatized? Traumatized by dead bodies in the car. Not actually. Did you know that that movie is considered one of the scariest movies? Like, it gets people's Which heart... Movie? Hereditary. I've never seen it. You've never seen Hereditary? I don't like scary movies. I don't think it's a scary movie. No. Though I was told when I first watched it, like, this movie gets people's heart rate going. Like, people, like, freak out during this movie. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, this is the slowest horror movie I have ever watched. Why are people's heart rates getting so high up? Does that have, like, suspenseful music or something? Yes. That might it's be wild. very, yeah. it's, they're, they're trying to be suspenseful so often, and I'm just like, holy, okay, um, go. Mom, my we mom gets to decide if she wants to put that in the podcast, I guess. We gotta get through this. Um, fuck. Where the fuck am I? Um, where's the the dog? The police ran the license plate. Okay, so the police ran the license, so the police ran the license plate to the vehicle. The vehicle? In Austin's. When making the call to the registered owner. Austin. What? You said Austin's? I think it just said Austin. Mm -mm. Ellen Austin. Ellen Austin. Oh my god, Ellen Austin. Um, yeah, so Mm. Rotten Tomatoes says that. The number one scariest movie is The Exorcist. Number two is Hereditary. Three, Conjuring. Really? It's number two? And you didn't even think it was scary? No. I also am finding out that I'm extremely desensitized by movies. Shocking. That I'm not affected by horror movies like the majority of people are. I'm shocked Um, to hear that. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm shocked. I didn't even think it was scary. Yeah. Yeah. And also, it doesn't make sense. If you've seen Hereditary, go ahead and uh, message us. I'll look at the DMs if you message about Hereditary. And I I have questions. She's such a liar. She's not going to look at them at all. I'm not going to. My mom will tell me, though. <laughs> um, I have questions. I don't... I feel like they were too vague about the movie. I feel like I might have to watch it now, but I don't want to. Watch it. Mm. Um, Nothing super... I mean, you, you kind of watch her get her head knocked off, but like... 
nothing that you haven't seen on doing this podcast at all. Oof, yeah, at all. I guess that's true. This morning when I went to the bathroom, I'm, you know, I get up, I'm the first one up in the apartment, I go to the bathroom, Maverick comes in. After prying his way through the bathroom door. Yeah, they really like to be in the bathroom. Yeah. It's very disturbing. Um, our roommate's cat will scream at the top of her lungs if you are in the bathroom and she is and not she in And she wants there. it. Yeah. <laughs> if she realizes anybody's in the bathroom without her, she loses it. Oh, my God. It's really funny, actually. Why she also you... keeps climbing behind our washer. She likes the warmth, maybe? Uh, I think she just wants to explore back there. But the boys aren't small enough to fit back there. But she is. Mm-hmm. She also climbed up in the fireplace last night. Oh, God. <laughs> Who was it? It was Delilah that crawled up the fireplace it was and Goose. then fell down. Goose and Delilah both did yeah. that. What the hell? We do, to be fair, though, I think we do have birds in our fireplace. Yeah, to I, be fair. I can, it sounds like there's a fucking woodpecker up there. I'm like, what is that noise? It's the baby birds shuffling around in the Dude, nest. Dude, it's so loud. I, we can never light a fire in our fireplace. No, it's just I can not light a fire possible. in my fireplace. I cannot. <laughs> um, but Goose gave up really quick trying to get into the fireplace because we have like one of like the almost meshy nets. It's like chain, but it's like mm. more like mesh. Yeah. Um, Goose gave up really quickly. He could not get through it like his first try, and he hasn't tried again since we've been there. He does like the fireplace. He gets um, all sooty and gross. Maverick tried to jump over the fucking balcony yesterday. Shocking. I caught him mid-going over the railing. He's so naughty. All because of a fucking bunny. That's so funny because we have tons of birds and bunnies around here. And he does watch them out the window. And he's knocked over, like, my plants before trying to get to them out the window. And then he'll just, like, sit there and chirp at them sometimes. So we have a really, really large amount of birds and rabbits that, like, we there's this little courtyard area. Well, they're closer, too, because yeah. here, if he's at our window, he's up high. Yeah. So he can see them on the ground or flying in the air, but they're not, like, right there. Yeah, they're, like, right there. Like, even the trees in the front of the apartment that are, like, across the street, like, hang over the road. Mm-hmm. And that's where the crows all and they fly and they sit on the building and then they fly back and forth between the trees and the building so the boys watch them. Mm-hmm. And then uh, outside there's just so many birds. They really like the hummingbirds. Oh. Really, there's a lot of hummingbirds. A lot of hummingbirds. I've never seen people so People probably many have many. hummingbird feeders on their balconies. The people across yeah, from us have yeah. hummingbird feeders. I've heard that's actually not very good for them, but I don't know if that's true. Um, I know that you can hurt the hummingbirds by leaving your feeders out too long, but also they also say that that doesn't matter, so it's kind of like... Yeah, like, I don't know if it's just one of those things where people are like, that's bad for them, but it, it isn't. That's Maddie drinking water, in case you were curious. Do you like that my water bottle sounds like a toddler sippy cup? It's probably because your straw is not hooked on all the way. It is. It is totally it? is. Look at this. I literally don't know what's wrong with it. It just makes this noise all the time, and sometimes it just doesn't fucking work. And I literally don't understand what's going on. Okay, then my second guess is... Put it in. My second guess is if this isn't clicked all the way, like if it's even just a little bit, it'll make that noise. Okay, let's try. Let's see. Let's Let's test your theory. Oh, mother son of a bitch, are you kidding me? Get on there. My hi- I have a hydro flask lid, but I do not have a hydro flask. No, she has a like thermo- the yeah, thermo flask. It's the Costco one, yeah. Which honestly works better than the hydro flasks, I'm not going to lie. My shit stays like it, cold. I feel like they work the same. No, it's going to be a little while, baby girl. Um, The heater. It's, it's just the heater. I know, I, I know. Uh, probably like a half an hour, I would guess. Probably in like a half hour, honey. 
go do something productive. Or go do nothing and go watch a movie.